we're in Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, and I will invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles. Maybe you got one on your phone, you can turn it on, <clears throat> scroll to it. If you got a hard copy, pull it out. But we want to go ahead and lean into the word here today. Come on, if you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry for the word of God, say let's eat. Let's eat. Every word proves true. Every word. Jesus says man and woman don't live off bread alone. Like you could have had a really great big breakfast, but it might not do anything for your soul. We live off of the word of God. And so we're going to eat from it here today. We, we're picking it up right where we left off. Pastor Mike preached a great message out of chapter 8 and those, that second chunk of verses there. And I'm going to have us lean right in starting in verse 13. So come on one more time. If you're hungry, say, let's eat. Let's eat, Father. Right now, as we get ready to eat from your word, we, we echo the song we just sang. Oh, God, we need you. We need you. For the person who's here for the first time, for the person who's here for a long time, for the person who's struggling with depression, for the person who senses suicidal thoughts, for the person who feels lonely, for the person who feels broken, for the person who's celebrating, for the person who's grieving, God, give us a word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here we go. We're context, quick setting, right? Nehemiah has built this wall. God gave him a vision, gave him a dream to leave his current place with serving with the King Artaxerxes, to travel back to his hometown, Jerusalem, to have faith to rebuild a wall. In this 12-year period, Nehemiah has done that. He, he uh, came up with a team. He recruited people. God sent him favor. He had resources from his, his previous location. He had gift set that God had put in him. He had opposition, but he pressed through it all, and he worked hard, and they built this wall. And the people said, we want you to be our governor. Nehemiah, all of a sudden, now is a politician, right? He, he's the governor of the land, and he, and he says, here, if I'm going to really rule and lead over the people, Nehemiah says, well, we got to put God first, and we got to put his word first if God's going to be first. And so now they have this big meeting right outside the water gate for the exiles and those people who are now making their way back to Jerusalem, the people who have found their way back home, kind of like Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah says, well, let's have this big worship service and let's get Ezra, who's the scribe. And Ezra can, let's make him like a little brick podium and let's have Ezra read the word and preach the word and we'll respond and amen it. That's why we love feedback here at Walk Church. Come on, you can say amen, practice. Come on, Amen. Okay, amen means, yeah, I agree with that. I feel you. I'm with you, right? And so Nehemiah is living that out in the beginning of chapter 8. We talked about it two weeks ago, a sermon I preached called A New Priority on God's Word. What Nehemiah does is he says, if we're going to really do this thing, we've got to prioritize the Word. The Word can't just be an afterthought. The Word can't just be an option. Hey, I think I might read the Bible this week. He goes, you've got to scrap that. You've got to move the I think out, and you've got to make it a priority. You've got to say, I'm starting my day hearing from God. Maybe you might say, I'm ending my day hearing from God. You might say, I'm going to take a midday break just to hear from God. I'm going to seize my commute. I'm going to take that drive that I have to work, and I'm going to implement the word of God. I don't know what that looks like for you or what your rhythm is, but the past two weeks we've read two books in the Bible. First John, such a good book on the love of God and on holiness. Right? This past week, I don't know if you took the challenge or not, but First Peter was so good on how to respond in a day of suffering and a day of struggle and how to see the gospel in and through it. Oh man, First Peter 5 just the other day said, cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. I don't know about you, but I needed that word on Friday. Amen? 
And so we've been learning how to prioritize God's word. Last week, Pastor Mike preached a message on a new response, a new devotion. We see the people show up and not only are they leaning into the word, but they have a a spirit of repentance. There's something about God's word that draws you to repentance at times, you know? You might be reading the word and the Holy Spirit might start convicting you and all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I got to change my life, bro. But I don't know where the bro came. I gotta change my life. Like a surfer, like, bro, I changed my life, sis. Does anybody use sis a little bit? Okay, shout out. I, I, gotta, I gotta get my life right because the word of God has spoken to me and God is so for me. I don't wanna stay the same. I wanna make a difference. And I love that message on, on repentance, um, on, on the difference between a worldly sorrow that leads to destruction and a godly sorrow that leads to hope. That leads to life. This, a godly grieving would lead you to change your life. Right? A worldly grieving would lead you to ruin your life. Right? And God says, no, no. Conviction is me tapping you saying, I got more for you. Don't settle. Don't settle. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, he's saying, because you're settling. Because God's already in tomorrow. You know that, right? Like God's already there. He's like waiting for you. He's like, come on. This decision today is going to mess up tomorrow. Don't mess it up. Trying to help you. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. That's where we pick it up here today. In Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Tap the person next to you and say, let's do this. On the second day, the heads of fathers, houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, come together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. They're doing it, right? Right? They didn't just do it one day and then leave, but they said, you know what? We're going to come back on the second day. And the heads of the fathers of the houses, the, right, the people, they say, hey, we're going to lead. We're going to lead us in the word. We want to study the word with Ezra. They found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. Verse 17, and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in booths. For from the day of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was a very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. According to the rule. Hey, uh, I want to insert a quick corny joke. Can I do it? Uh, just back up one verse. Um, if I can just go back to one slide. Um, it says that, uh, um, for from the days of Joshua, son of Nun. Do you guys know who Joshua's parents were? Neither do I, son of Nun. <laughs> come on, help, come on. I've been waiting to use that one. If I ever preached on this verse, I was going to hit it up. That was my moment to do it. Some, come on, dad jokes. Y'all got to use that this week. 
Mark's taking notes like, I'm using that. I'm using that. I like it. It's just you, a son of none. All right, here we go. I want to preach a message to you this morning um, that I'm titling, right, uh, in the context of priority. That's what we've been talking about, prioritizing the word, uh, prioritizing response. I want to talk about prioritizing remembering, prioritizing remembering, a, a new priority. What's the new priority, Walk Church? What's the new priority online? Let me tell it to you. Put it in the chat. Prioritize remembering. That's what I caught from this chapter at the end here. I don't know about you, but I know that as I was reading that, I was thinking, I don't know what's going on. And can I just tell you, sometimes you'll read the Bible and you'll be like, I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm just going to be faithful to read it. But here's a good moment. A moment of confusion is an invitation for greater study. A moment of, you know what, I don't really have clarity is not a moment to rush past it. It's an invitation by God to go deeper. It's a moment to say, you know what, let me get a study Bible. Let me call somebody who maybe is a little bit more knowledgeable. Maybe it's an opportunity to, to ask some questions, to just say, you know what, I'm going to carve out some time. I'm going to go a little bit deeper. And what I believe is happening at the end of Nehemiah chapter 8 in this last chunk, it's, it's the people prioritizing uh, remembrance. Remembrance. Let me talk about what it means to prioritize something. Prioritize means to designate or treat something more important than other things. We talked about prioritizing the word. We talked about prioritizing a response of devotion. Today I want you to designate or treat remembering. Everybody say remember. Designate or treat remembering as more important than other things. Did you catch it? What are we prioritizing? Here's what we're prioritizing. Remembering. Now, now there's a reason why nobody amen that, because it's not too popular. It's not too lavish and like, ooh, that was, a, that was a good line. But I pray that this priority would help and serve you in your walk with Jesus. Let me, let me define remember. The word remember is a verb. It means to be able to bring to one's mind an awareness of someone or something that one has seen, known, or experienced in the past. I mean, isn't that kind of what we just did with Memorial Day highlight? What is, why does Memorial Day exist? It's, it's a variety of reasons, right? But one of the reasons is to prioritize remembering what happened. The purpose of Memorial Day is the purpose of honor. It's it's the purpose of celebrate, it's the purpose of grieve, and it's the purpose of memorializing. In other words, use your memory, remember that there's something that had to happen, right? And, and there's something that happened in the Bible, and that God is trying to help his people who are very forgetful. Come on, we, we're a little forgetful in this room, all right? Don't be too proud to say, you know what, sometimes I, I get a little forgetful. Hiding gets a lot forgetful, all right? You can ask Nina about that. I, I, I need help. I need to prioritize remembering a whole lot. I can barely make it through a Walmart run. Come on, somebody. Did you get it? Oh, dang. I, I don't even know what happened. I forgot. <laughs> Jeez. Lord, help this guy, right? I need to prioritize remembering. This is what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 8. 
the, the, the remembrance spotlight is on a feast. It's on a specific festival. As we look at chapter 8 one more time, I want you to catch it. Starting in verse 13, it says, On the second day, the heads of the fathers of the houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra to the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Um, one commentator said, the people didn't want just a surfaceable revival. They wanted the whole thing. What am I saying? So, so what just happened in chapter 8 is remarkable, right? I mean, we talked about that, Pastor Mike, right? We talked about how, look, there had... The walls in Israel is supposed to be God's land, chosen people, holy land, right? It has been torn down, broken down. The Bibles have been buried under the ground. There's, there's no activity of worship. Babylonian kings are ruling and taking over. It is chaos. The people of God have been exiled. And, and all of a sudden, this man of God named Nehemiah says, no, no, we got to take it back. We got to do it the right way. And years later, they build this wall back up, and God has given favor to this man, and he has this worship service, and they pull back out the word of God. Everybody stands and worships and cries and weeps as Ezra reads the book. Whoa, are you in the moment? Like, this is a big, big deal. And then everybody goes home. And now what happens the next day? What's so neat is the people are back. The people are like, no, no, we got to have a new way of living. How, how do we do this thing? How do we actually live out our faith? Right? A priority means I don't want to just be a Christian on Sunday. I want to be a Christian on Monday. Like, show me how to live my faith out every single day. I want the whole thing. I, I want a well-rounded walk with Jesus. That's what the people are doing here. So on the second day, the heads of the fathers of the houses of the, all the people with the priests and the Levites, they came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Tell us what's next, Ezra. What do we do now? Well, here's what they found out. They opened up the calendar, and they realized, oh, snap. Come on, somebody say, oh, snap. They said, oh, snap. According to the calendar and according to the book of the law, we're supposed to be doing a festival right now. We've actually missed the other six. They found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths. We're supposed to be in booths. Would you like a table or a booth? I got some corny jokes today, man. Wow. We want the booths during the feast of the seventh month. Come on, Sam. That was an Outback line. Go see Sam and her family at Outback leave a good tip during the feast of the seventh month and they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem go out to the hills and and and, and now he look they're reading in the book right Ezra is in Leviticus chapter 23 they're reading the look the, the law they're reading the book hey Ezra what, what should we be doing how do we live out our faith we're back it's a new life new call new creation what does this look like practically he says, all right, well, look, let's look at Leviticus 23, and let's, let's talk about it. Come on, go with me to Leviticus 23. Let's, let's, let's actually look at it. Picture Ezra preaching to the people, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel. This is what's happening now. Saying, on the 15th day of the seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. 
Verse 40, and you shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. Come on, God is intentional with his trees, amen? God is a gardener. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever. Throughout your generations, you shall celebrate it in the seventh month, which in their case would have been October. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. God's saying, I want you to make sure you heard me. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know. Everybody say may know. That everyone may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. In in the Old Testament law, specifically in Leviticus, right? Moses is getting this word from God himself. And God's saying, I want my people to prioritize remembering what I did. And in order for them to really remember it, they got to do an exercise. What's the exercise? They got to build booths. And stay in them for seven days to remember what their ancestors did when I moved them out of Egypt. And they didn't have their house. They didn't have their their hut. They didn't have a place. In fact, they were moving through a miraculous water. (laughs) God split the sea and people are walking through it not knowing where they're going. I think it's late, Moses. What should we do? I think we should go to sleep. Let's make a booth out of the trees. Let's go camping. This really happened, amen? This isn't just the Prince of Egypt cartoon, shout out to it, but this is real history. This really happened. God says, I want people to remember what happened. So there's a feast that God implements in Leviticus 23 called the Feast of Booths, where people are encouraged and commanded to do just that, to make a booth and live in it for seven days and these feasts are, are really designed to do three things. I want to talk a little bit about the feasts because the feasts help us remember. And then I want us to try to contextualize it to where we're at today. All right. Let me talk to you just about the purpose of the feast. The, the purpose of the feast, number one, the purpose of a feast was really an opportunity to celebrate. All right. Why, why does God implement feasts? There's actually seven total feasts. Everybody say seven. There's seven total feasts. We're looking at the seventh one, the feast um, we'll go there. We'll go there. I want to talk about them in a second, but I want to talk about the reason why. The first one reason is an opportunity to celebrate, hence the word feast. Come on, amen? Like, praise God, at least on these feasts, they're feasting. At least there's food involved. There's celebration involved, right? This is an opportunity to celebrate. Why feast? Number two, it's an invitation to remember. I, I talked about that just briefly. Um, but number three, it's a call to worship. So we see these three things, right? All seven feasts have these three things in common. Number one, God is calling us to celebrate. Number two, God's inviting us to remember. Number three, God's calling us to a deeper sense of worship. Because there's something about how these are connected, amen? There's something about how remembering leads to worship. There's something about how celebrating leads to remembering and remembering leads to worship. God's saying, if you could just stop and have a break in your busy week, because we can all get so busy that we could forget to do these three, can't we? 
I don't know about you, but you can start running and you can always feel behind and there's always another email to send. There's always another thing to do, especially if you got little kids. There's always something else to do, right? You, you need a, a, a carved out opportunity to celebrate something. Whew. Praise God for a quick moment to celebrate. And wait, wait, now I'm slowing down enough. I'm catching up to reality and it's giving me an invitation to remember what God has done. And, and then... That's leading me upward, worship. I love how every, every December we stop for a moment to remember baby Jesus. And we go back and we, we visit the wise men. We see Mary visited by angel Gabriel, right? And gets this word of, of this miraculous reality that she's going to give birth to the, the Savior of the world. I love Easter, where we stop and take time on Good Friday to remember the cross. And what does it do? It leads us to worship. Where we take time on Easter Sunday to go back and visit and peek in, yeah, the tomb is still empty. And that should be good news, amen? Right? I love how on the first Sunday of every month, we hold up a little cracker and we hold up a little cup of juice. Sometimes it's hard to open, I get it. But in that moment, it leads us to remember what Jesus did for us. The call to remember, it's a, it's a slow down pause to celebrate, to remember, and to worship. That, that's the purpose of the feast. There's seven feasts. So somebody wanted to clap, amen? I'm going to clap with you. Let me go ahead and just give you just a brief snapshot um, on what the different feasts are. There's seven of them total. You can find them all kind of on display in the book of Leviticus is where God begins to speak about these different Feasts, you got the Passover. I'm grateful for the Passover time that we had uh, this past Easter season. I'm grateful for the Sunrise Cafe. Um, my guy, Pastor Andrew, and his wife, Angie, who are in the back. I see them back there. Love Andrew and Angie. Hey, if you ever want to just get some deeper knowledge into these seven feasts and festivals, Andrew and Angie are going to break it down way better than I could, all right? And, and I love this brother. I love learning from him. We always talk too long at the restaurant. Thank you for giving me some time, brother. <laughs> love and honor you guys. Um, we, we, we did a Passover Seder meal. It was so good to, to visit back into Exodus and to sing the songs. The songs are meant to help us remember, which then helps us celebrate and worship. Um, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread found in Leviticus 23, verse 6, the feast of the, the first fruits. All of these have symbolic meaning of what God has done. The, the feast of, of weeks or Pentecost, right? And you see a lot of these feasts find their New Testament reality in, in, the, in the book of Acts, right? You see in Acts chapter 1, during the feast of the Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit comes down like a rushing wind and starts to bring reality to the feast, the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. That Pentecost is happening in this, the Feast of the, the Trumpets, the, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, or also known as the Feast of Booths. That's where we're at today. I want to encourage you, you can take a screenshot of this, but we're also going to post it on our social. So if you want to just this week, we're going to be focusing in on some of the booths. And learning more about them and reading more about them and read, reading more about how Jesus is actually at them. And Jesus is in them. The, the day of atonement, right? The, the day where, where God passes over 
the sins of those who have the blood of the Lamb covering their home. The day of atonement for us, as John the Baptist, right? He says, behold the Son of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of the day of atonement. Jesus is, is the fulfillment of all of these different feasts and festivals. They all have meaning. They all have power. I can actually remember what, while being in Israel as, as a, a young 20s playing professional basketball amongst many Jewish people, I went over to a team member's house and in their backyard, they have this like little campsite. It's like one of those big old tents in their backyard. And I was like, yo, what's up with the tent in the backyard? And one of my Jewish teammates said, oh, it's the Feast of Booths. And I said, I like thought I was a believer. <laughs> like, I, like, I like thought I knew the word. And I was like, oh, of course, yeah. What, what is that? These, these festivals are still lived out in Israel. Now, not everybody knows that Jesus is the prophetic fulfillment of the festival. But the feasts are still on display for seven days. People will make the, it's called Sukkot, is the holiday, Sukkot, where people make these tents, these, these booths to remember, to slow down and lean in and celebrate worship and remember. We want to talk about this Feast of the Tabernacles or booths. I, I, I would like to spend more time on all these. At some point, maybe we'll do a series on the different booths. That would be fun. But I want to talk a little bit more about the Feast of the Tabernacles of, of booths and why it's important and, and why it matters. Here's why the Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, is, is really important. Right? It helps us remember what God has done. For my note takers, I just want you to write that down. Just write down, remember what God is done. Remember what God did. So important for us to take intentional time to remember what God did. You could be in a moment of discouragement. You could be in a moment of fear. You could be in a moment of anxiety. And here's what you need to know, friend. You need to know, hey, he's the same God. He's the same God. Right? You move the mountains then, you'll answer prayers right now. You are the same God, amen? I want to remember what God did. Oh, brother, sister, it's going to help you to focus in on what God did. I mean, Jesus himself lived out this point, right? Do you know that Jesus celebrated the Feast of Booths? I mean, don't rush so quickly through the New Testament that you miss what Jesus is actually doing. Like John chapter 7, if I could show you this on the screen. John chapter 7, it says, on the last day of the feast. What feast? It's the Feast of Booths. The great day, because the last day was the great day. You know why? Because that was like the, the checkout day. All right, I'm moving out of my tent. <laughs> I'm moving back in my house. These leafy pillows are not that comfortable after seven days, right? On the last day, whoo, that's the great day. Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. 
For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is saying here in this moment, right? He's saying, hey, remember, I'm leaning into the feast. And now Jesus is telling us that he's the fulfillment of the feast. Right? The, The feast of the tabernacles. The word tabernacle is this beautiful picture of God dwelling with his people. God tabernacling among us. God coming down to visit us, right? The the holy tabernacle, the presence of God, right? God even tells us in the Old Testament law, if you fumble the tabernacle, you might die. In fact, there's moments where people get a little bit clumsy and not careful with the, the presence of God that's dwelling in this tabernacle place and people died. And now Jesus is saying, hey, listen, it's the new tabernacle. This feast has been really dope. I don't know if Jesus said it like that. I'm sure Jesus said, this has been good, this great day. He says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is the new tabernacle among us. Jesus is the walking presence of God. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. He's saying, the Holy Spirit is going to dwell among you, in you, right? The Feast of Booths today, what does the Feast of Booths look like today? It looks like a walking relationship with Christ. Like the Feast of Booths, if you wanted to go celebrate it and for seven days put a tent up on the roof of your house or in your backyard and live in it for seven days, like that will help you remember. But you know what's even better than that? The Holy Spirit living in you, dwelling with, the Holy Spirit building a tent in your heart, Amen? The holy, like, put, you got to put all these holidays and these feasts in to help you remember. Well, I'm grateful for the scripture in John 14 where it says the Holy Spirit will bring things to remembrance. Right? I'm not devaluing or shading the feasts. I actually enjoy the different times of celebration and slowing down. I think we should add more of celebration, remembering, and worship to our Christianity. Because we need to party better, church, in the right way. Amen? Come on, we need, to, we need to hang and love and eat and worship and slow down more. Not in an ungodly or paganistic way. Come on. I've met so many people who, who came out of industry life and came into church life and realized, dang, I could laugh and have fun and didn't even need a sip of alcohol. Wow, I didn't even know I needed that. I, Jesus is better. I mean, there's a scripture in Ephesians 5 where it says, don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Better. Amen? Right? The last day is, so, so I love feasting. Trust me. I love celebrating. Trust me. I love worshiping. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, remember what God did. Jesus lives it out. You'll find Jesus celebrating the Passover. You'll find Jesus celebrating the different feasts throughout the New Testament, especially in the, the Gospel of, of John. You'll find Jesus doing it. Even at 12 years old, Jesus is making his way up to Jerusalem. His family lived these things out. But he tells us here that actually he is the fulfillment. Whoever believes in me, right? A feast or a festival can't save you. Jesus can. If you believe in me, oh, I'm going to give you a better drink, a living water that can save your soul, that can refresh you in times of discouragement, that can heal you in times of brokenness. Jesus says, I want to I tabernacle with you. I don't want to just hang out seven days 
once a year in a booth. I want to hang out with you every day. Prioritize the word because Jesus is with us. Amen. Come on, let me give you the second point, right? Remember what God did. Remember that God, right? He, he opened the sea. Remember that God raised the dead. Remember that. But the second thing I want you to remember is remember what, remember what God said. Right? The reason why the Feast of Booths was so important is because if you notice in Nehemiah 8, Ezra's reading the word. The feast is there to help you remember what God said. One of the things I loved about when we did the Passover at, at sunrise was the amount of times we, we just took time to read the word and read the moments. Remembering what God has said can be the balm for your anxiety. Did you catch what I just said? Right? Just remembering a word from the word. Right? Somebody texted me a word this past week. It was so neat. My guy, Chef Michael Mina, texted me a scripture. You know what I texted him back? I needed that. I needed that because you know what it did? It helped me remember what God said. Does anybody, can anybody relate if you're not careful? If you're not careful, you go like this. Hmm. I'm out. What happened? What happened is this. You just begin to drift. And it could just be a reminder from the word of God pulls you back and aligns you. Amen. The word of God centers you where everything else in the world is, is drawing you away. Not everything even is bad. Sometimes it's, it's good stuff. I mean, really good stuff. But don't ever, don't get into a place where you're like, man, I just got so much school. I'm taking six classes. I don't got time for this. Well, you're drifting. Amen. Right? Like, good stuff. Like, go to school, no doubt, but don't do it in place of the word. Because you got to remember what God has said. Oh, a memory of what God has said can change the course of your life. That's why I've really enjoyed these intentional readings this past week, because it's really helped me center. I mean, the Proverbs, it seems like the Proverbs every single day. If Prioritize reading Proverbs 29 today. Do it. Somebody say, do it. Somebody say, just do it. Like, make sure you do it. It's going to help your soul because it's going to help you remember what God said, and that's going to transform your decision making. Remember what God did. That's going to encourage you and remember what God said. Because that's going to keep you anchored. I mean, there's nothing wrong with telling somebody, hey, hey, remember what God said. I don't know if I'd do that if I were you. Why? Because remember what God said. Don't fear a man over fearing God. I mean, I was thinking about that really recently. Like, honestly, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that in the context of accountability. Because I've heard too many people, I've heard too many people blame their lack of obedience to Jesus on not being held accountable. Oh, man, nobody was holding me accountable. What about God? Is, <laughs> I mean, maybe nobody called and checked on you enough, but what about God? 
He's tabernacling with you. You know, you got to sin against him before you sin against, right? Like, what about what God said? Isn't that accountability? I'm not saying we shouldn't call him. We should check on. We shouldn't, we shouldn't have community. Oh, friend, get in a group. Get, in a, get, get accountability, but first have accountability with what he said. Like, hey, you know what? Nobody checked on me, but I did remember what God said, and that was a check-in enough. Because if God checks in on you, woo! That's a, that could change your life. Remember what God said. Get in the Word daily. Get in the Old Testament. Get in the New Testament. Get in the prophetic books. Get in the minor prophets. Get in the wisdom books. Get in a love story like Ruth. Get into the beginning of the, the book, Genesis. Get into the law, some of the boring stuff, but you'll learn about some booths. Some festivals, some feasts. You'll find Jesus as the fulfillment. You'll say, man, this is really hard. And then you'll be like, man, I'm grateful for Christ. He lived it out for me. He's the the law fulfilled. He, He lived the law out and now Christ lives in me. He doesn't do away with the law. He fulfills the law. And now we don't live by the the law. We live by the spirit. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Oh, I love when people text me, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I just feel better. (laughs) Because for some reason, our hearts start to condemn us. You you don't read the word for two days. You fall into sin. You watch something you shouldn't have watched. You heard something. You said you you, you slandered somebody. And all of a sudden, you feel like, man, I'm going to hell. Wait, what? (laughs) Did you forget about what Jesus did for you? Get back up and walk again. Receive forgiveness. The blood of Jesus cleanses away your sin. Do better next time because of the gospel. Not because you have to earn something, but friend, how many times do I need to remind myself that? Every day. Martin Luther once said, I preach the same gospel every week because every week my people forget it. (laughs) Every week we start to drift toward earning. Oh God, I... I did it again. I, I, I'll make a deal. God's like, making deals? I died for you. I rose for you. The deal's, the deal's done. You just got to believe it. You got to remember it. Why do we take communion? Remember. Remember. The, the cracker and the blood, the, 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 the juice is saying, remember. As often, Jesus says it, right? As often as you do this, do you know the word? Remember me. I'm trying to give you a new, a new, a new festival. You don't got to make a booth out of all types of trees and leaves. But when you take communion, you better make sure you remember me. Because if you don't, you might get callous and cold, and you might forget about who you are. You're a loved son. You're a loved daughter. You're adopted into the family of God. Right? Sometimes we're acting like orphans. We're, we're, we're like, oh, I wonder if God will really love me today. You're adopted into his family. And God's saying, I love you. Follow me. Walk with me. Trust me. Remember what God did. Come on, remember all, like, read Hebrews 11. Read about what God did in Abraham. Do you, think about this name. I'm the God of Abraham. You know, Abraham was a, a big... Abraham messed up a lot. <laughs> Y'all know that? You know that Abraham was married, and then he had a, a slip-up with the maidservant? <laughs> it was rough, man. That was a bad choice, Abraham. You know who told Abraham to do it? 
his own wife, and then she got really mad that she said that, and she should have got mad. But Abraham, that wasn't your moment to listen. <laughs> Abraham, that's when you speak back to your wife. No, I'm not doing that. And you know you don't want me to do that. Dang, Abe. God says, I'm the God of Abraham. God says, I'm glad to be his God. Isaac? Isaac was full of problems. Isaac made the same mistakes that his dad made. He lied the same way his dad lied. He didn't have a perfect life. Jacob? All types of problems. Jacob is a big problem. God says, I'm the God of Jacob. The same God. Like, praise God, he claims us. Come on, Vashon. Praise God, he claims us. Amen? Come on, online. God, God chooses to identify with broken people, sinners like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to be all right in Christ. Find your identity in Christ. Remember what God did. Remember what God said. Like most times when I, 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 I have a lot of conversations with people. Some are good, some are, some are rough. But here's what I realize. Most times when people are discouraged, most times when people are burnt out, most times when people feel the worst, I always say, hey, when's the last time you read the word? Oh, man, shoot. I don't even, I think I lost my Bible. I don't even know. There's a reason why, because the voices are not filling you. Remember week one, a couple weeks ago, I talked about how, how if you're empty, you're powerless, right? I talked about an a, um, embarrassing story about how I ran out of gas not too long ago, and I turned my car on, and it just couldn't move. Some of us are on, can't, do, can't move. I just can't move because you're empty. You're filled with candy from the world. Can't move you. It can't move you. That's the reason why your marriage is rocky is because you're empty. You have nothing to give. You have nothing to fight with. But I'll tell you what, there's something about the supernatural word that's living and active. Sharper than a two-edged sword, you have something to give. It's fuel. It's gas in the tank. Remember what God did. Remember what God said. Let me give you the third, third and final. We're going to finish. Right, right. Remember where God is. The Feast of the Booths, the Feast of the Tabernacle was there for you to remember what God did. Right. Leviticus 23, it says, hey, remember what, how God moved the people out and how they made those booths. I want you to do it, too. Remember what God did. Now he said, remember what God said. Read the word. Open up the law. D- dive deep. Sink into the Bible. Charles Spurgeon says, visit many books, but live in the Bible. Right. Remember what God said? And he says, remember where God is. The Feast of the Booths was meant to help you remember that God is with us. I mean, let me just draw upon Christmas one more time and we'll close. Matthew chapter 1, if you need a reminder of this verse, it's so helpful. It says, she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Can amen that? Can anybody? Come on. Right? He will save his people from their sins. 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Who's the prophet? His name's Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 7. Behold. Everybody say, hold up. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's where God is. 
The Feast of the Booths was there to remind you that God is with us. He's with, he's with us in the mansion. He's with us in the booth. He's tabernacling with us. Jesus is the fulfillment of God being with us. God, thank you that you're with me. Amen? God, thank you that you're not distant. Thank you that you're with us. That, that, that's been my prayer for the people in Texas around that tragic, demonic, evil scene that took place at the elementary school. God, I just pray you'd be with them. I don't know any other answer or anything else to pray. I just pray that the God of comfort, the God of grace, the big same God would be with these people. And praise God, he is. Right, God is, is close. Let me, let me ask you a question. Where is God right now? Hey, let me give you two answers. Is God in heaven or is God with us? The answer, yes. Is God in heaven or is, is, is God with us? The answer is yes. He's both, amen? He's a big God. Come on, worship team, help me close this sermon out. He's the same God. He's the yes God. He's with us. He's in heaven. And not only is he with us, but Romans chapter 8 says that, and God is for us. If God is for us, then who could be against us? Do you ever need to be reminded of that? I'm going to give you this reality statement. We'll we'll close. This reality statement, I'll put it up here on the screen. I wrote this down um, because I needed it, and I thought maybe you would need it too. The remedy, come on, say it with me. The remedy for your current discouragement is remembering God's past faithfulness. That's a good word. Some of y'all didn't catch it. Take a picture of it. We're going to post it. The remedy, say it with me again. The remedy for your current discouragement is remembering God's past faithfulness. Transparent moment. This week, I can't remember the reason why, but I had a moment of discouragement. Just hit me. I just have this memory of just like, I feel discouraged. Could be a variety of reasons. I can't really figure out why. But in sitting in that, I'm working on this message and I'm drawn to just remember God's past faithfulness. Like all the things that God has done in my life, just in my life, let alone your life. I mean, if I just started to study God's faithfulness in your life, I would be encouraged. If I just studied God's faithfulness, come on, in, in, in the Bible, it, just do a timeline of God's faithfulness, you know what? I would come out of that and take a breath of fresh air. We're going to be all right. Look, look, hear me. Because this week you're going to get discouraged. Today at some point you're going to get discouraged. You could get a, look, you could get a medical report that sparks fear. The remedy for your fear is remembering God's past faithfulness. You, you could get into a fight with your spouse or your kids and you could feel discouraged. The remedy for your discouragement is not to watch a reality show. 
the remedy for your discouragement is not to scroll on social media until you get distracted enough that you feel numb. The remedy is not a bottle of alcohol or smoking weed. That's not the remedy. Because you'll wind up on the other side of that still discouraged in an hour. In fact, not only will you be discouraged, but now the devil will take your decision and make you feel bad about it. Now you feel discouraged and not enough. The the remedy for your discouragement is not sexual sin. It's not. So many people I've heard, man, I just, you know, I just was feeling discouraged and I just, I went to, I went to what I knew was comfortable, even though it's not comfortable. Can I just tell you the remedy for your discouragement is going to be remembering. Just stop what you're doing. Sit there and remember God's past faithfulness. He's a way maker. He'll make a way for me. And that will be the remedy. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this sermon. I thank you for this reminder of the Feast of the Booths. Lord, speak to us now as we respond in worship. And if anybody needs to get saved today, right now I pray that they would put their faith in you. They would say yes to Jesus. They would say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I repent. I turn away from my sins. And I put all my faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. That's the decision you need to make today. Make it. Talk to God. Respond in faith. If you need to come up to the altar, come up to the altar. If you want to pray with one of our leaders down in the front, come on down. But let's respond in worship. In Jesus' name.